0: Hey, people. Welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Amanda Scott, your host at this place on the net where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution. And my guest this week inhabits that intersection in the most inspiring way. Max Malowska is an activist with Trust the People, a movement of community builders which is open to everyone, sharing deliberative democratic tools to support local communities in dealing with global crises, like the ones we face today. If we are not facing global crises now, then I don't know when we ever will. Their website says... We are building a real democracy from the ground up. And as you'll hear, they have an astonishing set of tools and ways of teaching them so that ordinary people like you and I can learn online how best and most effectively to bring together the groups in our communities in whatever way works for us and them about whatever issues matter to us and them. This is not just about politics, although I think the May elections in the UK are really important, and we will be having another podcast later on also discussing that, because it really does matter, people. But ahead of that, this radical democracy, this ability to talk to our neighbours, to the people in our villages and our towns and our cities, to our streets on a nation-by-nation basis, and on an international basis. The ability to come together and find out what's best for all of us is how we are going to move through the crises of our times. And I can think of nobody better, nobody more inspired and inspiring to talk about this than Mags. So people of the podcast, please welcome Mags Molowska. So, Mags, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank you for agreeing to be with us on this really wet, rather strange morning. As we record, the US isn't actually in the middle of a civil war, but it looks like it might still be teetering on the edge of one, which is quite scary. Where are you based? I don't know. Are you somewhere nice and warm and sunny?
1: Nice and warm and sunny. Uh, just outside of London, so so no. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> and also
0: completely locked down. How is lockdown for you this third time round?
1: Do you know what? I, I have a better experience than a lot of people. I live in a van most of, of the time, so oh, wow. yeah, I can be free and isolating and not endangering anyone, but still getting out and about. So I'm, I'm very fortunate.
0: That's fantastic. Well done, that woman. I love the idea of living in a van. That sounds... It sounds very romantic, and I bet it isn't as romantic as it sounds, so one day you can tell us about that. So we're here to talk about Trust the People and the ways that political activism can change the world and the ways that politics is part of everything. So before we leap into all of the detail of that, tell us a little bit about Mags and who you are and how you became part of Trust the People.
1: Oh well, um, it's been a bit of a journey, I suppose. I'm a social worker for children and families by by background, and I've always been really sort of passionate about social issues and and family life and sort of children being raised well. And um, but then I, I took a year off my job about eighteen months ago to volunteer full time for Extinction Rebellion because I was getting increasingly concerned about you know the lack of action on the climate crisis and. You know, you just look around at society and, and I was thinking, like, what, why is nobody doing anything? Yeah, yeah so my job, there, it was kept open for me and I spent 12 months volunteering and, you know, I helped start um, an Extinction Rebellion local group in my in my neighbourhood. But then in the December before last, I stumbled across the community democracy team. In, in Extinction Rebellion. And I took one look at this proposal that someone had written for how you know democratic tools and reform might be put in place in, in a, from the grassroots upwards and I was completely smitten. That was it for me.
0: What was it about that? What, what really struck you What that you weren't finding elsewhere within XR?
1: Well... That it was for everybody. Okay. You didn't have to be part of a, of an XR local group to want change. You you know, if you were anyone from anywhere with any issue in your neighbourhood, that you know, there was something that could be better, that should be better, you know, that you and your community deserve to be better, then here was a set of tools and resources for making that, that change happen.
0: Perfect. I interrupted. Take us back to your timeline. You found this and you thought, this is where I want to be. And then?
1: Well, oh, it was quite sweet in, in the early days. You know, we, we sort of worked together putting out these these workshops and a few people would come along and we'd have great conversations about how we might engage our, our communities. And we were trying different things to kind of help the initiative grow. I think at that point it was called Here Comes Everyone. And then, of course, COVID hit. So when COVID hit and when we had this um, explosion of communities coming together, like the mutual aid network that sprung up, all over the UK and beyond, you know, all of these people stepping into the vacuum left by government to make sure that everyone was taken care of. You know, this was where we thought, OK, now community democracy's time has has come. Like, how can we support this outpouring of incredible energy and care and ensure that it lasts beyond the pandemic? Right, And that it can carry on, like, you know, shaping proper change to all of the crises we face, you know, not just making sure that everyone has food and and medication.
0: So when did you change to Trust the People?
1: You know, that's a really good question. And I wish I had a more precise answer for it. I remember how I felt when I first heard it. um, Because Trust the People, I mean, it sounds like exactly what it is. Um, It's it's a really great branding. and once we we someone came came up with it, and we we knew that 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 was the right, the right fit for us because that's what it, it's all about. You know, we need to look to our neighborhoods and communities and trust the people that we find there in order to make the change that we need. And this is a real yes. departure from how sort of individualized we are at at the moment. It's kind of like a real culture change that we're trying to to achieve.
0: Yes, and. So having gone from being relatively small groups and particularly XR groups to then this concept that it is it is for everybody doing everything and then COVID happening, how did you begin to connect with people on a wider scale in the midst of COVID?
1: well we developed our pitch kind of around around covid you know we were um we were presenting to people talking about you know how amazing all of this work that that's that's been done is and how to nurture it and to keep it growing um how it can tackle you know, lots of the different problems that we're we're facing. And then one of the team had a really bright idea, which was to run the workshops and all of our content. We had so much content and to do it as as a course. And that was a seismic shift in the history of of Trust the People.
0: And there is a huge amount of content. It's extraordinary. I'm really impressed. So what happened? You then began to get very many more people engaging because they didn't have to drive to London. To do it.
1: Oh, well, it was always online. That's kind of um, okay. the beauty of a lot of um, Extinction Rebellion people and all the projects that have sprung off of it. You know, we, we work in that sort of networks of people all over the country and, and beyond. So we were quite used to Zoom when that became the way of things for everybody else.
0: Right. Okay, but it sounds like the seismic shift. Then, what was it that made it? If you were already working on Zoom, you're already working online. You're already working remotely. What made the difference?
1: There was something about it being a course that meant when we sold it and we promoted it and we um, presented it everywhere, sort of within Extinction Rebellion across the local group network, and then we were like blown away by how many people came. You know, we had right. um, just under a hundred coming to all of the the workshops. And then the feedback that we were getting from from the workshops was phenomenal. You know, something really special was happening in those 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 places. And and here's one of the great things about it. You know, we we never planned this, but the sense of community that grows across the length of the course. You know, I remember in um, the last running of it, um, going into a breakout room with a couple of of people and um, them saying and then them greeting each other really warmly. And and I said, oh, how how do you know each other? And they said, oh, we met last week in another breakout room. (laughs) It's just so lovely.
0: Yes. And from all of the other work, because like everybody else, when COVID hit, our Zoom experience increased orders of magnitude. And I have been in many, many Zoom conferences where people are asking how we can create a sense of community with Zoom online. And you have done it without stopping to ask yourselves how you were doing it. It has emerged mm. out of the work that you are doing, which is really interesting, because even now, like a month ago, early December, I was part of a group asking how can we create community online. And you guys are doing it. So a little while ago you said what we really want to look at is how amazing all of this work has been. And so I'd like to begin to unpick what is the work that has created the structures that you're teaching in your course that are enabling community to happen effortlessly and are inspiring people then to be able to go out and work in their local communities. What's the skeleton, the substance of what's in there, the work that's been done?
1: Well, that's a really good question. I think it's kind of the spirit and the ethos that runs through how we are delivering ev- everything. So when we when we check out at the end of workshops we'll put some music on and people will have, have a dance on the way out like the <laughs> dancing you know you don't have to join in it's not it's not mandatory but it really you know we we leave people on a high when they finish the workshop they've um, been entertained they've connected with different people in sort of small groups in the breakout rooms then there's been sort of sharing when everyone comes back together and then we all get to hear what's been shared And there's a lot of visioning and and dreaming that takes place as as well. And this this is really key. So in one of the um, introductory workshops we talk about, take a moment to stop and dream. What would your ideal community look like? Like, let's say that um, humanity has come together to start addressing some of the multiple crises that we face. And it's a year's time and you're walking down the street. What do you notice that tells you that that's the case? Right. Like, what does it look like? Like, what can you hear? What can you smell? So we'll give people a few moments to really hold that in in mind. And then further on in in the workshop, and this is probably one of my highlights in in the course, we ask people to finish the sentence, by the end of this course, I will have. And we get people to type it into the chat. And then everyone presses enter at the same time, and watching the chat box just be populated with with like a hundred or so of these people's dreams for their for their communities is just really incredible
0: and totally inspiring for everybody who's present. That's yeah, really clever. And also, then whatever. My idea is I then have 99 other ideas from super engaged people that I can go, oh yes, I could do that and, that and that and that and that. And then my I've got an exponential increase in my concepts of what's possible. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So as well as that that dreaming, I think a really key part of the puzzle that comes with it is you dream and then you think about, well, what am I going to do to make this a reality? Now, and if you wanted to think like, what is the essence of trust the people? It's, it's the dreaming linked with the practical. And it's the tools and support that goes so that, you know, you you, you can um, try and make these things that you're dreaming happen.
0: And a lot of the dreaming, I imagine, I'd like in a bit to look at what people do dream. But at the moment when we're staying in the realms of of concept, that a lot of it is about ways of connecting with local people who may not yet be connected. I think COVID did give us an extraordinary amount of social cohesion, but over the year. We've watched that break down again. In ways, it seems as if it has been deliberately broken down, but that's probably a different podcast. So, you're offering tools and structures and strategies really to help people connect. And I think that seems to me just before we started, we were talking about a book called Why We Get the Wrong Politicians by Isabel Hardman, which I will link in the show notes because I think it's essential reading for anyone who's interested in why our current structure is so broken. And part of it is that by the time somebody gets to be an MP, they have been at a very, very deep psychological, energetic, emotional level trained not to have empathy and that everything is a zero-sum game and everything is a war and it's a very frantic war and you only survive if you win and you win by trashing the opposition. And then you put 650 people who've been through that process in a small room together and were surprised at the result. Well, we're not, really. But, <laughs> but the fact that anybody ever thought that could work is the surprising thing. And so what it seems to me you are doing that is transformational and gives us a potential for something completely different is providing tools of emotional literacy so that we can go out into our local communities and talk to people in ways that are not tribal and are not designed to trigger tribal responses. Is that fair? Is that a reasonable assessment?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: So can you tell us more about what those tools actually are?
1: Yes, so um, a key part of it is the people's assembly model, which is maybe a fancy way of, of describing a process whereby a group of people can come together and make a decision on something. So the, it's a structured and facilitated space. The people will hear some information about a topic, whatever the issue is, and then they'll get into small groups and think together on what they've just heard, perhaps generate solutions, and share ideas, and then the key points will be shared amongst the whole group, so that everyone can benefit from the sort of collective wisdom of the crowd. And, um, and you know, maybe working groups will, will form to tackle certain things or whatever it might be. They're a really multi-purpose tool, and um, you know they're used in sort of radical democratic movements from all over the, the the world. And to have them in in the UK, in in every sort of town and city in our country, is the trust the people dream. And so
0: talk to me a little bit about the facilitation. I So from my own perspective, I there was a space in our local parish council, and uh, I didn't step back fast enough, basically, when we were being asked to volunteer. So I ended up being the person who volunteered. Um, from our local group that had got together to persuade the car- parish council to declare climate and ecological emergency. And then we had formed a bigger group because the parish council was persuaded to declare much against its instincts, I feel, and then didn't know what that meant and what to do. So we had a group. I stood for that group. I went along to various interviews. Two other people stood. I didn't get the position, but I'm also, I have to say, really, really pleased because I didn't know how to hold conversations with, I'm going to sound incredibly judgmental, but but I do have a tendency to compartmentalize. I live in a village where basically, as far as I can tell, the vast majority are retired MI5 officers. There was a safe house. This isn't exactly true, but it feels like there was a safe house nearby. I know there is a village near here that is this, and I don't think it is our village, but there was a safe house. They all went and retired there. They all sit reading the Telegraph and playing bowls in the evening, and they all voted for Brexit and are very happy with the current government. And they're all we we lowered the average age by many decades, and I'm not I'm not young, (laughs) just by being here. So I don't know how to talk. I don't even know how to initiate a conversation that where I feel that we are both being heard, because every attempt of mine is interpreted, I think, as being overly touchy feely, and that's even just saying hello. I'm not. I'm really not going. Okay, let's centre ground and shield and begin to share our vulnerabilities. Yeah, you know, trust me. I'm not going to do that mm. in our parish council. But I can go. Okay, I need to know how you feel about this. And the shutters come down and there's terror in everybody's eyes because I've said the word feel. And I haven't. I genuinely don't know where to do what to do. So it's really, really lucky that I didn't get that position. But if we're going to be able to bring trust to people to every parish town and city in the land that level of conversing across what feels like a cultural chasm has to happen and i believe that that trust the people has the tools to do that i'm really interested to know what those tools are and how you teach people because i'm guessing in a people's assembly you've got a self-selected group yes. they wanted to be there yes. and that's that's a really good start so how do we move Within the People's Assembly, what are the tools to help people? Because we might be discussing, I don't know, let's say we're discussing the building of a, a new junction in the local town. And that's something for which everybody has very strong opinions, but there may be very strong opinions on either side of a yes we do or no we don't boundary. And we still have to find ways of crossing that. So talk to me about the facilitation, how it works, what it does.
1: Mm, so the facilitation, um, you have to create a, a safe and inclusive and welcoming space, so that um, you know people know that everybody is welcome, but not all behaviours are, are welcome. When you introduce the session and, and you set the scene, you need to sort of like carve out that shared understanding of, of what it is it's not an opportunity for people to have soap boxes or pontificating yeah. or anything like like that it kind of rests on sort of three three pillars so there's um, radical inclusivity which is the point about welcoming every part of everyone and then there's really listening to people the active listening is so crucial and we you know advise people to When someone else is talking to really stop and listen to what they're saying rather than do that human thing that we all do, which is, you know, mentally be thinking about what we're going to say next. And then finally, there's trust. So trust the process, you know, trust the facilitators and trust e- each other. You know, often in, in assemblies, people are doing and relating something that they maybe haven't done before and maybe don't feel too comfortable. And, you know, for, for instance, using hand signals is, is a really valuable way of kind of assessing where a crowd is at and communicating without interrupting each other. Um, but hand signals, you know, raising your index finger to show that you want to speak can be quite difficult for some some people you know we're not we're not used to it and we're creatures of of habit aren't we so that's fair fair enough
0: but doesn't it get better do the people who find it hard to begin with are they finding it easier after a period of time
1: Yes, very much so. I mean, I remember my own journey with, with hand signals when I first joined XR. It certainly felt very strange to be sort of waving your fingers around to signify agreement. But um, over time, you get used to that. And it's it's such a useful tool when you can just look at a crowd and know that a point that's been made resonates with a lot of people there. You can see it visually in in the moment.
0: So for people who aren't familiar with this, we're going to have to describe this because it's it's a kind of a visual way of clapping that doesn't disrupt what somebody's saying by clapping over the top of them. So yeah, you think
1: know, jazz hands
0: yeah, exactly jazz hands. and it just means I agree. and and again, we did this at Schumacher. and you're right, the first few days I just thought this is seriously strange. but by by the end of the first week, it's become part of who we are, and you're right. it's really valuable feedback. So just for interest for people for whom this is a completely novel concept, we have razor finger for I would like to speak. We have jazz hands for yes, I agree couple of other hand signals?
1: So there's a round up where you draw a kind of circle with both of of your hands. And that one's quite a a tricky one, because it means you're asking the person who's speaking to finish what they're saying. And it's quite difficult to use that one. And it can be difficult to be on the receiving end of it too. But it's meant with kindness. And it relates to the idea about um, radical inclusivity. You know, if we're going to hear from everybody present, it means that no one can take up too much space and the people who are less likely to volunteer to speak first, they're often the ones who have the most valuable points to say. So, you know, we need to make sure that we get to those people and hear from them too.
0: Yes, yes. Because there are always in any group the ones whose tendency is to talk for the entire allotted length of time. And do you find also that that becomes less necessary as you're going through because people recognise and are able to create more... Time-limited internal boundaries?
1: Yes, I think as people understand sort of what the space is that's being created, they kind of not police each other, but there's like a, a group understanding in space that to take up too much space isn't okay and, you know, you need to be mindful of, of the other people there.
0: And we, we always had um, a kind of making an L with your finger and thumb at right angles, but that was mainly, I think, because we were always in classes with a lot of people for whom English was not their first language and so it was a I, I didn't understand the word you just used is that something that comes up
1: we have a, a C for clarification
0: okay yeah so I, I just need you to expand on that point a little bit more Excellent, and so those are working even in Zoom, or do you create on Zoom? You know, have a thumbs up and and the clap and the the reactions that exist in Zoom. Do you use those, or do you use actual hand signals still?
1: Uh, We use hand signals when we're in the breakout rooms. So when people are in smaller groups and they can see all of the faces on the screen, you know, hand signals work well. But when we're in the main group of like ninety or so people, then we you don't see them.
0: Yeah, and I, I have noticed recently. I don't know whether I just updated late or whether I've clicked something in in my kind of occasional rambles through the back end. But I seem to have a lot more signals available to me now than I did this time last year on Zoom. So that's also quite fun
1: yeah it seems moving with the times there's even a function on it now where you can um if you've got the latest version you can move between breakout rooms as well depending oh, on what's you? going on in each oh nice. i need yeah, to yeah.
0: update that looks that's that will be incredibly useful so we have the three pillars we have radical inclusivity we have active listening and we have trust the process i am thinking of our parish council i i genuinely think none of them listen to this podcast. If you do, please come and talk to me because it would be really interesting. Um, I think even the word radical inclusivity would be quite threatening. But let's leave that aside because there are some things that we would just have to work with person to person. In facilitating these, both in person and online, having set those as our three pillars and having hand signals How else do you help people work towards a space where they're able to use those? So I suppose I'm thinking that what we're doing is teaching people emotional intelligence in real time. And I'm wondering how that works as a process.
1: Well, we, we begin each session with, well, we don't call it a check-in, but that's what it is, where we get people into breakout rooms and so they can introduce each other and they can share what their hopes are for the session or, um, you know, something that they've been thinking about that day. It doesn't matter what it is, but you can be strategic with what you ask them to think about if you would like to Help orient everybody there to kind of having a common goal right. so hopes for this session is always a really nice nice question and it means as well that you know everyone's everyone's had a chance to sort of talk and get into the room and, and voice and be heard before the main event happens so people feel like they've they've had their moment and you know some people come to these things you know really wanting to talk and share a lot and then having a smaller check-in kind of means that Taking the wind out of their sails a little bit, which can be can be useful when there's a lot of people there.
0: Yes, and helps them to focus then on the things that you you want them to do. So, tell me a little bit more about what the course is, what it is, what it does, what it hopes to do, and what it has done. Let's start with what is it and what does it do.
1: So, it's a it's a community organising course. It runs for six weeks. It's free. It's online. It's it's rolling, and um, it aims to aims to support people with um, the tools of community organising so that they can support their neighbourhoods to get together and make changes for the, the common good really. And it starts off with an introductory week where we run sessions um, on visioning and encouraging people to think about what their dreams are for their neighbours. And then the weeks after that are all about, OK, well, how are you going to make that happen? So we go from doing the inner work of thinking about you know, your own identity and any biases you might have and how these might colour any interactions that you're a part of. To going outwards a step, is thinking about okay, well, how do we work well in groups? How can we be compassionate with each other and effective? And you know, this is an important one because you know, lots of um, groups of people trying to make change. Um, I don't know. There's, there's a there's a history of these groups coming undone over conflict and things. So we think that this this module, the group work, is is really key. And then uh, thirdly, we have um, how to engage your community. Now, this is really important because, you know, we're we're building up to looking at how to run a community assembly, a people's assembly. And that's a self-selecting space. So you really need to have done the work of trying to um, engage with all different kinds of of people. You know, look at your spaces that you're creating and think, who is missing from here? Like, where are they? And, you know, what what can I do to um, engage with them more? And then a key part of that is thinking really locally as, as well. You know, the people in your immediate vicinity. We saw that with um, the coronavirus volunteer networks around the time of, of COVID. You know, people were relying on their immediate neighbours. And that's often a relationship in our culture that, I do in, in some places there's a strong sense of neighbourliness, but in, in many there, there really isn't. So, you know, we need to look at that. And then finally, you know, after the um, community assemblies module, we have the community organizing week where we kind of bring all these things together and think about, okay, what next?
0: Brilliant. Because the community organizing, I'm guessing, feels quite daunting at the start and by the time you get there. I imagine everybody is raring to go, knows what they're going to do, has the tools to do it and just wants to get out there and make it happen.
1: Yes. Well, I I think we've taken a bit of an unusual tack with the community organising module. Imagination is a really key part of it. So I'm sure that some people turn up thinking they're going to get like a list of how to start an energy cooperative or um, a community allotment or and we start off by um, getting everyone to remove one of their shoes and getting into pairs and coming up with an alternative purpose for that item of footwear. Wow. So it might be like a spaghetti holder or uh, (laughs) goodness knows knows what. And I'm sure these people are there going, why am I here talking nonsense about my shoe to someone I've never even met? I want to learn this. But then That's the point, right? We want want people to be ready with their imaginations and a sense of the unexpected and a connection that they've drawn because that's what underpins all community organising. You know, we send out all of the practical resources in the follow-up email, people can take that and read it in their own time, but the spirit and the connection that has to underlie any of those projects if they're going to come off the ground, that's something more intangible, which is why we lead people a bit of a merry dance in that final workshop.
0: Yes, so I would consider that shamanic, which just means it works, I suppose, and very energetic, and breaking people's internal boundaries, or at least loosening them so that they're thinking outside of their own boxes, which feels really important. I don't know how much of this is predicated on Rob Hopkins' work of from what is to what if, but I'm sure his book must be be somewhere in the mix. And that concept that our current way of being is a disimagination machine, and that anything that we can do to expand our creativity and expand our imaginations and start thinking way beyond the limitations. So we We come thinking that we're going to build an allotment group, as you said, and maybe we go away thinking that what we're going to do is create something completely different that our local area has never thought of. Has that happened much? I'm guessing that's the aim. Is that happening in real time as we speak?
1: I guess people are doing all kinds of different things and one thing trust the people needs to get better at is you know finding out what is happening out there I mean we've had graduates from the course do a lot of work with Black Lives Matter the community circles that took place in London and you know looking at different things the community could do like finding finding a shared space from which to organize then we've had you know people have used assemblies in schools there were some incredible words shared by some teachers at one school where it was used where they these teachers were blown away by the students who had stood up and shared in the assembly space, you know, students who had had a lot of personal issues and were like the last people to come forward and speak there's something quite special about real democracy when it happens. Yes. Yeah, people people love it and people are surprised by how much they enjoy it. Like, you know, the few assemblies that um, I've attended have had that bit of, of magic. And, you know, you listen to all of the things that people come up with as they're talking and they're really great ideas. Like, people are full of great ideas and yeah. people love connecting with each yes. other. And that shouldn't be so groundbreaking. It's really tragic that it is. You know, just last week, I was on a course, and uh, you know, somebody there was talking about how, you know, what if we didn't have hierarchy, you know, what else would we have? It would just be be chaos. and And I felt really sad listening to that, thinking, you know, this myth of individuality is just believed by so many people, isn't it? like,
0: yes, but but it's breaking down. people are at least asking. And, and I have been listening and talking to other people. We talked to Mark Lakeman um, back in the autumn who created the City Repair Project. And you know, they started off with one intersection that they gradually took over and then painted to make it a park and just stopped all the traffic. And and they'd talked to the local police. It was really, for me, it's one of the most inspiring concepts of what can happen. They'd got Ed, the local nearly seven foot tall, big police guy. And he, he got to know that if he came past every Monday, there would be a pop-up little shop that was technically illegal, but hey, it doesn't matter. Where He'd get a cup of coffee and a donut and a couple of nice girls and sit and talk to him about their concept for freedom and inclusivity and horizontality. And we don't have anywhere to gather. And how about if this intersection were a public park? And look, all these city ordinances that are asking for reductions in crime and more community and stuff, we, w- we would be doing that. And he brought his friends and he brought his friends. So at the point when traffic, the traffic department, called you know, said you cannot possibly turn an intersection into a park. Ed had already said, traffic will call the police and we'll be there. And the police turned up and went, you know what? We think they're filling all these city ordinances. And actually, this is really fine. So you're just going to have to get used to it. And went away again. And there are now 700 intersections that have been turned into parks in Portland. That's incredible. From that one example of, of radical inclusivity, trusting the process, and giving everybody space yeah. to understand that they have agency and talking to each other about what we want.
1: And connecting with the police as well, you know, these are like, traditional, like, no them and us, forget that. No, exactly.
0: It's radical inclusivity means we talk to the police. It means they're people too. Yeah. and And we talk to our local politicians because we might think they're on the other side of a huge cultural divide. But they are people too. And it seems to me, exactly as you said, it is tragic, really tragic, that this feels alien, but the fact that it's happening. Um, the doors are opening. And I think it's the kind of thing that once people have a taste of how to do it, then you know the R factor, we know from COVID that once the R factor rises over one, you have exponential spread, whether it's a virus or an idea. It doesn't take many people talking to their friends going, this was absolutely amazing. And here are the tools and here's how we do it for the entire country to get it exponential growth can work in our favor also sorry i'm ranting on your podcast
1: no that was fascinating. That was really interesting and that's exactly what trust the people is you know trying to to do and we want to connect our network of people who attend the course you know and have all these hopes and dreams so that you know a great idea that one of them comes up with in one part of the country can travel you know right hundreds of miles away and then do the same magic there you know these things need to grow off of each other exactly like you said
0: and across the world. So that was my next question is, you said you had graduates of the early courses. Because uh, Did I misunderstand? You said it was rolling, but I got the impression that there was a new one coming up in February. So that they are specific. So it's not that you just join and follow through. You join and that you have a cohort that you go through with together. Yes. Okay. So in a minute you can tell us all about that, but there've been there was so as April and October last year, am I right?
1: No, it was uh, July. The first one started July, and October. Oh, okay, yeah.
0: Alrighty, I'm thinking XR. Okay, so you have two lots of people who've gone through. Have you had feedback? And are you able? Have you created online communities where they can? still stay in touch with each other?
1: Uh, a bit. We have different systems in place. So we've got a thing called the Hive Support Network where we'll put community organisers into small groups of like eight or nine and they can get together over Zoom every couple of weeks and then sort of share the highs and lows of their, of their journey. And we offer um, the facilitated first session just so that we can help them get to know each other and help them work out what they want from their hive and um you know how are they going to stay in touch and how often will they meet um but you know and again this is um testament to the sense of community that grows within interest the people the people who have facilitated the sessions have ended up just staying on yes. and being like additional part yes. of the hives and that, that was never planned but you know there's connections and relationships are made and then you it just flowers stay. and carries yeah on.
0: and you want to see where it's going i would think that if you've really managed to facilitate in a way that works you've made heart connections with these people you don't want to just walk out and go okay guys have a good time. You know, tell me about it next year. That, yeah. That I'm glad that it happens. Yeah. I'm also imagining it would be harder to get people to volunteer to be facilitators. So we said, oh, and by the way, you're going to be here forever. So um, <laughs>
1: we don't tell them that bit. <laughs> no,
0: exactly. Um, but that, the word will get out. So, do we have any ideas of things that are happening now as a result?
1: Well, in my neighbourhood, we used the community assemblies to rally the support around the green belt campaign. Like the council, were really determined to sell off green belt to to developers. And I think the handful of handful, well, the single um, green councillor in the local council was really tearing his hair out. So we held these open assemblies. weren't sure that anybody would would come. We tried it. Uh, I think it was the last Sunday of August was our our first one, and you know lots of people came and they really enjoyed it you know we 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 had a, prepared a presentation about you know the things that we could do to um to 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 stop the sell off of out of our land and then out of it came three different working groups looking at you know creating a fact sheet to dispel the myths coming out of the council about Greenbelt land and um, like a, a media working group to look at how we can make the campaign grow and then actually you know people within the council it kind of fed back to us that we had really rattled them and there were councillors saying you know this, this 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 citizen's doing stuff you know we need to be seen to respond to this.
0: <laughs> Not um, we need to do it because it's right just that we need to be seen to. <laughs> oh, anyway okay it works.
1: Whatever route that the councillors take I don't know as long as they end up doing the right thing. Um, and then they ended up changing the, the the housing figures. They brought them down an awful lot, which meant there was less pressure on, on development. So, you know, that's kind of on the back burner right now. We're waiting to see what development plans come come next. But that was a yeah, a successful account of um yeah, just applying pressure to the structures that exist. Fantastic. We'd invited all of the councillors to come along to the first assembly. I think two or three of them did. uh, But the leader of the council had sent me a bit of a shirty email going, Do you really think you should be having it on a Sunday? And it was like, you know, you've got citizens who are organising to help you to all work together. And that just goes to show the problems with the structures that we have. Yes.
0: Yes. And the people, yes, it is the structures. And then people get crushed into them. So we have elections coming up in May. And I know that flat-pack democracy, which is is. Fl- Are you in any way linked to Flatpak Democracy or is it a separate structure?
1: Yes, we are linked to Flatpak. We work closely together. Um, So Flatpak and us and another initiative, which I'll have to tell you about, Climate Emergency Centres, the three of us run Module 5 on community organising together.
0: Okay, so hang on a minute. Tell us a little bit because listeners may not even know what Flatpak is. So tell us about that and then tell us about the other and then we can talk about the May elections and what people can do. So tell us a bit about Flatpak.
1: So Flatpak is a term to describe how a group of citizens can come together and um, take over their local council, like away from party politics. So it's different from running as an independent candidate because you're in a team of other independent candidates all, all agreeing to kind of do what the community want and you'll have like a shared way of working. Normally the kinds of things are about really listening to each other and a real move away from that oppositional politics that, you know, things are so blighted by. And there's thousands of councils all over the country that are up for election in, in May. And what, quite a sad thing is that, you know, so few people vote in these elections generally, few people run, few people even pay attention to what the local council is, is doing. And actually, as a local council, you can borrow money, you can take over buildings, you can do all kinds of, of things, but you you know, you just need to be connected to the community that you're serving if those things are going going to do any good. Yes. Um, so Flatpak is really trying to plug that gap and make sure that our councils are run by residents who are the experts on their own neighbourhoods.
0: And as I understand it, it began in Froom and a group of people, I think they were the local transition town network, but they had very different political views, but they agreed in advance, how they were going to solve issues. And they told people that that was what united them, was the the structure of solving things. And first time around, I think the local council had 17 seats and they got 10. So they just had a majority. And by four years later, when they came up for election again, they, they swept the board. And Froome now, I think, as I understand it, is is run for the people of Froome, not for the egos and pockets of the people on the council, which shouldn't sound radical, but really, really is. So, and then Buckfastly, we're going to talk to somebody from there later on. Do we have any idea how many people might be going to stand in the May elections Under the flat pack model?
1: We don't actually. Like the aim is as many of them as possible, and you know, they're out there doing sort of talks and promoting it as much as possible. But how much of this is trickled down into people on the ground going, do you know what, let's do it? We're not sure yet. But there
0: is support. If somebody listening decides that what they want to do is to bring together a group of people to stand in the May elections. Would they come to trust the people for the training or would they go to Flatpak?
1: Come to trust the people for the training and then also approach Flatpak for support. They've got, um, they're looking at mentoring so that councillors who have done it can, they're running Zoom sessions for people to come along and find out more about what the campaign took. Right. but I mean, something that Peter McFadgian, who, who sort of pioneered Flatpak in, in Froom, said recently was that he thinks, you know, all all councillors everywhere, whether you're Flatpak or not, you know, come and trust the people, you know, like learn how to engage your community. Um, you know, it should be it mandatory. It should be mandatory.
0: I, I'm not certain. And, and I'm sure this is my judgment and I'm failing totally on radical inclusivity, but I haven't met that many councillors who actually wanted to know what their local community thought. We have a few around here. We've got a local Lib Dem who definitely does, but the rest, I, I think they're quite invested in not knowing. But maybe we can change that. Because I did, I stood back four years ago and I was I was actually down in Devon at Schumacher at the time doing a, a master's. So I only agreed to stand as a paper candidate because there were several seats in our local council where the Tories were elected unopposed every time. You know, if one person had voted the Tory councillor would have got in because there was nobody standing against them. So, And I, I said, that's unacceptable. And they said, okay, so you're standing. I'm not going to be here. Um, and they said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're still standing. And we got about a third of the votes, which was astonishing because because genuinely nobody did anything. It w- it was literally a paper candidacy. But even so, I found it, there was a, an extraordinary amount of legal hoops to jump through and and quite unpleasant sounding kind of repercussions if you didn't fill the paperwork in right and that kind of thing that that i kind of thought somebody else needs to do this because i'm very very bad at filling in paperwork my eye just glances down the page and i think no i don't care about any of this and i sign the bottom and i don't know what i've signed to is there help with that kind of logistical stuff
1: sounds like we need to get the flat pack uh on your, on your podcast. no i mean yeah like you say, the, the the paperwork is an absolute nightmare. And it's almost deliberately... Well, it feels like it could even be deliberately so. Definite. Yes, like,
0: yes. If you're standing for one of the big parties, they do it for you. And they have people whose job it is to do that, who presumably know exactly what box to take. And otherwise, I think it is deliberately obscure. Mm. Or, or just the people who design it are so embedded in the system that they don't understand exactly how daunting it is, which strikes me as unlikely. Okay, so we will talk to Flatpak. But in the meantime, if people... Feel that they want to stand, and it strikes me that standing as one independent would be interesting. But what you really want is a group of people standing in a number of seats, so that you would have a coherent voice on the council together. You probably want five or six people in your average-sized county council, at least, don't you? Oh, yeah. To get together to to make a group, and that group, then, if we came, if we, I found five other people and we came together, we could come through the Trust the People course together Mm. and learn as a group, share all our notes and then be ready for May.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Putting it back, you know, getting to know your neighbourhood, totally. And there are loads of amazing people. You know, we could connect people who have done the Trust the People course with you where you are and um, that's what we're looking at next. We want graduates of of both courses and the next one and anyone who's thinking about running flat pack wise to have each other's contact details or so that they've they've got you know a whole team of people they can do do this Relax. work with
0: and there would be time if somebody came on your february course which presumably runs when does it start in february
1: uh, last week
0: okay so it runs through to first week of april there would just be time if you're very smart and very quick to run at least one people's assembly so that people got to know who you were before the elections in May. Yes. Super. Okay, I think that's a plan. You said there was another part, there was Trust the People and Flatpak, and there was one other thing that you said were all linked together, an arm of XR?
1: No, again, this is something else uh, independent. So this is the Climate Emergency Centres Initiative um, which is a scheme whereby you can repurpose an unused building in your neighbourhood for community benefit, and it's free. Well, self-funding. You know, if it's a, a commercial property and it's paying um, and anyone is paying business rates and it's empty, you can agree a meanwhile lease with the owner. Um, Whereby they'll let you have it and use it for your purposes, which means that they aren't then long liable for the for the business rates, and then you can negotiate them giving you a chunk of the money so that you've got something to sort of put in, into your 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 projects. Uh-huh. So it's quite a nifty little um, arrangement and we're seeing groups all over all over England now starting up okay. making that happen which is really really exciting.
0: And are these groups that are then going to be able to tell the local councils what it meant when they declared climate and ecological emergency because we seem to see a lot of those springing up. Yes. Right. Yeah. All right, good. And then they're talking to each other because that has been knocking our heads off brick walls here is like four or five little local towns all declare climate and ecological emergency. And then they each set up a little subgroup to work out what that means. We're going, guys, we are reinventing the same wheel. Yeah. We definitely all need to be talking to each other because this is this is not wise. So these centres brilliant so we can link to that in the show notes as well
1: yeah yeah ab- absolutely all the information on how how to start it and um and in fact next week we've got a meeting between um the flat team the climate emergency centre team and the Trust of people we're all going to put our heads together and probably use a people's assembly format yes. to think about you know how we might help our projects even even more. oh
0: magic oh god i'd love to be a fly on that one
1: <laughs> come you're very welcome <laughs>
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Probably if I get time, I will. So as we're heading towards the end of the time, I would really like to invite you to take the imaginal journey that you invite the people who come on your course. Because you must have done it before, but I would like to hear what you say. Let's say it's a year from now. Actually, no, let's say it's five years from now. Or you could do both if you want. And you are walking the length and breadth of Britain, not just your local area. If this has gone... As well as it can possibly go, how does it look and how does it feel?
1: Mm, It's quiet apart from there's more birds singing, there's less cars, there's people, you know, growing food and sharing the job of growing and cooking and eating the food. I mean... You know, when I get asked this question, I often I often say, you know, I, I think I think of, of a wedding. I think of people from all different ages, all having a good time, and you know, dancing and eating and just going about the business of, of life, like to, um, together as a, as a as a collective, and um, and having a really good time doing it. Do you know, there's an amazing quote by um, I was a former Czech. President and dissident, of Vaclav Havel, yes. I've probably pronounced no, his no, name wrong. Right. But he said, We won because we loved life more. Oh, yes. And that's it. You know, that's it. That's telling a better story of connectedness and enjoying life and, you know, building the, the change and, you know, people don't love having loads of cars on on the street. You know, why aren't we all coming together and going? No, the kids should be playing there. The vegetables should be playing there. Um, playing there, the vegetables are even playing. Yes. That's how much fun everyone dancing was. carrots. Yay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And and if we knew, I spoke to somebody a few podcasts ago who's a climate scientist who pointed out that the WHO has produced papers pointing out that the health benefits of us all weaning off fossil fuels tomorrow, this money saved in terms of not funding people's ill health would more than pay for the transition to a fossil-free future. Wow. The WHO knows this, you know, not some flaky left-wing think tank that's trying to influence the government. That's the WHO.
1: Wow, that's incredible, and that that reminds me actually. And one of the statistics that came out of Froom when they flat packed their council, and they came up, you know, lots of volunteer networks and civic organisations, like sort of came together and um, worked with local health services as well, so that you know when people had had problems, they could go and do some vol- voluntary work or engage with a community group. They noticed a twenty-two percent reduction in A&E attendance,
0: 22%? Yeah. Wow. Gosh, I hope somebody's writing that up. That's amazing. Yeah. And in this wedding, just for my interest, because it's one of my things, I'm guessing that by now we have a universal basic income because that's what gives people the space and the time to be dancing and eating and growing. Does that feature in your, your thinking?
1: Oh, totally. You know, um, I've been I've been re- really privileged. You know, I, I've, I've managed to take a year off work to do all of this stuff because you know I'd saved up and I, no, I didn't have um, you know any sort of dependents to worry about. But it, this shouldn't be something that someone with you know no children or responsibilities can spend time doing. It should be for for, for every, everybody who wants to. Yeah,
0: yeah. Finding out what really matters and then doing it. Mm. It sounds glorious. Thank you. So is there anything that I haven't asked or that you wanted to talk about or that you think people would enjoy hearing about?
1: I think there's one thing I'd like to leave your, your listeners with. You know, so our, our our next course is starting again in a, in a, in a few weeks. And if, if you're someone who, you know, scared and worried about the state of the world and shares the belief that it could be so much better and, and you know, and you want to enjoy yourself, you know, come along on the next Trust the People course. Um, and if you have any ideas for things that we could put in the workshops, we'd love to hear from you. You know, if you're doing work in your neighborhood and you, and you want more people to know about it, like, please do get, get in touch. Let's share these stories and, yeah, change the world.
0: (laughs) Yes, because together we can change the world. That's a fantastic way to end. And we will put links in the show notes on the website so that people can find you and know where to go. So, Mags Malowska, thank you so much for being part of the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank
1: you, Manda.
0: So that's it for another week. Huge thanks to Mags for being so alive with the ways that we can change our communities for bringing us tools that manifestly do work, and for offering such a heartwarming vision of how we can be if we can learn to engage with the people around us. Our world is accelerating towards a radically different future. We know this. And we're all part of that future, by default or by design. And for me, if I'm going to influence where we get to, I want it to be as much as possible in ways where I can engage wholeheartedly with a sense of the confidence that comes from knowing everyone is bringing the best of themselves to what we're doing. And Trust the People gives us the actual tools to do this. So I totally recommend that you join their next course. Come along, have some fun. Let's see where we can get to. We will be back next week with another conversation. In the meantime, in the spirit of creating a different future... We have put up a Patreon page for the website. It's not a hierarchical tiered system where there are episodes or parts of episodes behind a paywall. I'm not going to do that. I want everyone to have equal access to all that we do. That said, it can take Caro C., our sound engineer, thank you, Caro, up to seven hours to edit a podcast. It can take Jill and Eloise on the transcript team, thank you, guys, Up to five hours, really, to tidy up a transcript, and that's after it's been through the software. It takes faith, time to sculpt the webpage, and I will have spent hours reading the books and the websites and doing the pre-podcast interviews out of the recording. And I'd like to get to the point where we can pay our guests. So, at a conservative estimate, it takes around 24 hours of work for one hour of the podcast, which is not infinitely sustainable. It's fine just now. But if you have the means and you would like to help us with this, then there's a link on the podcast page at accidentalgods.life and you'll get the show notes there too with the links to Trust the People, which you definitely want to look at. Or if you're already on Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash accidentalgods and you will find us there. Navarra Navarra Media, which is one of the new media organizations, asks their listeners for one hour's wage per month. Which seems to me quite a good starting point, but honestly, if you want to support us, you choose how much and how often. Anything will be welcome. And as ever, if you know of anybody else who would like to be part of the radically inclusive, flourishing, wonderful, generative dance of this world, please do send them this link. And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.